this morning we're going to start uh, the study through the book of Revelation, not Revelations. It's, there's no S, it's, it's a single revelation. But uh, if you would uh, like to listen to me now as I read the first three verses of the first chapter. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, the thing which must soon take place. And he sent and he communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testifies to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Amen. May he add his blessings then to the reading and the preaching of his word. Please be seated. Well, back in 1984, that's a long time, but I, I, I remember uh, I, wake, I woke up one night in 1984 um, with a weird dream. And uh, that, it was all black and white. It was set in the 1940s where I was a gumshoe. I was a private detective. And I was hired to find the murderer of my client's sister. And anyway, uh, in this dream, I, I was walking through a field to get to a warehouse when suddenly all the flowers that were in that field, they, the, the, the flowers, um, well, the heads uh, the, 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 the flowers all became heads, human faces that began to sing and chant. And then I got to the empty warehouse and I looked around and suddenly as I'm looking at this warehouse, uh, walls and, and corridors and office were constructed without hands. And, and uh, I thought that was weird, but I walked down the corridors to, to interview someone and everyone in the building turned into a werewolf. I had to run to get out of there, and I was able to escape only by flapping my arms and flying away. Uh, I, I honestly don't remember the rest of that dream, but 39 years later, it still remains with me as something really weird. <laughs> perhaps you're thinking, wow, he is weird. But, uh, but perhaps you also had a weird dream like that. Perhaps have you ever had a dream where you left home to go to school or to go to work and you left your home fully clothed? By the time you, you got to your office or your classroom, you were fully naked. Uh, that, that's not an uncommon dream, I understand. But, but uh, dreams are weird like that, aren't they? And we wonder if there's some kind of meaning behind those strange things that, that take place in our dreams or is the mind just having fun jumbling up images together? Uh, well, we often dismiss dreams. Uh, even as, as Scrooge said to that ghost Jacob Marley, you may be an undigested bit of beef or a blot of mustard. There's more gravy than grave in you. <laughs> well, well, very often, people look at the book of Revelation with that same kind of attitude as we do with other dreams. It's just a, a weird something that's non-understandable. After all, this is a book of very strange and weird visions and scenes. This is a book of numbers. 
the numbers 6, 7, 10, and 12, and multiples of those numbers keep popping up. And there are creepy creatures in, in this book. There's a lamb with seven eyes and seven horns. There's a, a locusts that come out of the ground with faces like men, but hair like women's and teeth like lions. There's a dragon that has frogs coming out of its mouth. I mean, these are weird pictures indeed. And there's plagues, there's judgments, and there are decapitations taking place here. And because of these strange images that really don't make sense in our world, so many imaginative interpretations have been presented. Perhaps uh, you know who Ambrose Beers is. Ambrose Beers was a 19th century uh, famous journalist who wrote an infamous book called Devil's Dictionary. It's a, kind of a fun book, but, but uh, in that book, he defined revelation. He said, revelation, a famous book in which St. John the Divine concealed all that he knew. And the revelation is done by commentaries who know nothing. <laughs> anyway, uh, if the book of Revelation is clouded with puzzles, many of the popular books on it are simply bizarre. And so again, for, for, for very many people, they'd rather not read this book of Revelation at all, and many don't. It's, uh, but, you know, friends, we don't need to be afraid of this book. There's a promise of blessing for those who read it, aloud and public, and those who hear it. And so the first words of the book are Apocalypsis Jesu Christu, uh, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Apocalypse. If you ever go to an English dictionary, you'll find various definitions of that word apocalypse. But uh, putting them together, you get something like this. They say that uh, definition of apocalypse is a destructive event of a catastrophic scale that results in the collapse or the annihilation of civilization. It's a word that is most frequently used with the end of the world. The apocalypse. However, the, the Greek word simply means an uncovering, an unveiling, an, an, a, a revealing, a, a disclosure. To take something out of hiding and to make it fully known. And so imagine, if you will, you're in a large room that's holding a, a tremendously great event. Many, many different kinds of people are milling around. And in the middle of that room is a, is a large curtain that's covering up something. And everyone is walking around, buzzing around, wondering what lies under that curtain. And then an announcement is made. And everyone grows silent. The drum rolls, brrr, and the host pulls a rope, and the curtain flies up, and there's a marvelous statue standing there, or, or perhaps a new model car or something, uh, and everyone gasps. There were rumors. There were talks. No one knew what was under that curtain, but now no one needs to guess because what was hidden is now revealed. See, that's what this word means. Something that was hidden has now been fully revealed. It's been made known. 
And the book of Revelation is, is uh, the pulling back of the curtain so that we can see earthly events unfold from a heavenly perspective. And, and again, Revelation is meant not so much to tell us all about the end of the world, although it does talk a bit about that, but that's not its main point. It, it again, is, is a picture of uh, a picture of the whole history of the world until Christ returns. And so, I, again, I think it's rather sad that so many people take an aversion to the book or how others convolute it by fanciful interpretation. Uh, again, it's this thing, well, the, the book is, is hiding something. But in fact, John tells us that it's not hiding, it's revealing. <laughs> and that's why I am 100% convinced that it may take a little work to, to read through all the images and all the visions, but it will not cloud our understanding. In fact, this book will give us a greater insight, it will give us a greater appreciation of God's working in the world. Now again, this term apocalypse deliberately draws us back to the apocalyptic literature of the Old Testament, books like Daniel, Ezekiel, and Zechariah. And John will make use of those Old Testament books. He will allude to them several times because those prophecies are being fulfilled in Christ. And John is here to show you how they're being fulfilled. It's interesting, if you were to read through those, uh, those apocalyptic books always introduce an angel who presents dramatic visions to the prophet in order to describe the, the spiritual warfare that's taking place. And, and that's what you're finding in Revelation. You will we'll see uh, the a uh, angels talking with John and revealing things to John. And, and we, you know, we, last week we looked at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, for purpose. Remember how we, we mentioned there that uh, in the Revelation 3, 15, God said that he was setting up an enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the flesh, or the seed of the woman. And, and through that enmity, there's going to be this clash between the saints and the world, between the godly and the ungodly, between good and evil. There, but there's a spiritual dimension to that warfare. And so throughout the Bible, particularly in the apocalyptic literature, as well as in some of the, the epistles, we, we read that our true battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against those spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And, and again, in order to help us uh, understand that, to depict the spiritual reality, uh, the apocalyptic books employ vivid images and symbolic numbers to reveal the invisible world that's behind the unfolding scenes of history. And so again, John puts this book into that same category to give us a hint of, of what this book is about. And again, I think this is a very important thing to understand if you want to properly interpret the book. Uh, certainly, the various visions and images are just that. They're visions. 
They are images that are needed to be interpreted as symbols to a greater reality. We don't need to look at these as literal correspondences, right? Uh, these are real events that are pictured for us very vividly in symbols so that we, as we read through Revelation, we're not interpreting the visions always literally. We need to see them symbolically. That's one of the interpretive keys we get from the Old Testament uh, studies. But anyway, that's a very important understanding to this. So, uh, that phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ, tells us that this is specifically the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, the, the, genitive, uh, the, the Greek genitive uh, case is often ambiguous. And so the question is raised, is, is this a revelation about Jesus Christ or is this a revelation that belongs to Jesus Christ? And the answer to that is yes. <laughs> this book will in fact reveal Jesus Christ as the great majestic king who is reigning over all the world and in his sovereign rule, he is bringing the world to judgment because of its disobedience to the gospel. You see, revelation then is, is something of an exposition of Psalm 2. Now, Psalm 2 uh, is a very important messianic psalm. In it, God speaks to Messiah saying this, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall shatter them like earthenware. You go to the New Testament, Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Paul there tells us that Jesus Christ was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Paul is citing Psalm 2, where God says, Today I have begotten you. Today you are on the throne, Messiah. And Paul says that Jesus is right now, because of his resurrection, he is declared the Son of God with power. He has the nations in his possession right now. He is reigning all the world with a rod of iron, even right now. And Jesus himself admitted to that, didn't he? Remember, um, after his resurrection, he met with his disciples on the mountain. And in Matthew 28, verse 18, he says, All authority, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he's already ruling all creation from his throne in heaven. Everything that happens on earth and in the heavens above is under his scrutiny. He pays attention, seen also by the very fact that when the first martyr, Stephen, was being stoned, Stephen looked up and he says, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You see, revelation is the curtain being lifted to show us that Jesus Christ is king. He is reigning. He is ruling. 
He knows all things. He sees all things. And so at the end of the book of Revelation, he says, behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. And Psalm 2 ends by saying, now do homage to the Son. So that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. Revelation. Now showing us that Jesus Christ is now reigning. But it points to us and shows us what happens when his righteous and just wrath is kindled. But again. While this book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Showing us who he is in that regard. This phrase, I think, should be better trans or understood to mean that this is the revelation that belongs to Jesus Christ. Indeed, verse 1 goes on to say, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants. So this, this message, the message of this book, comes to us from God himself. He gives it to his son, Jesus, who in turn communicates it to John by an angel, and John writes it down, and so here we have it. But I think this is a very important thing because it shows us that this revelation and its origin doesn't come from uh, the, the, fancy, the fanciful imagination of a man. It comes to us from God himself, the God who sits in his heavenly temple, the one who is high and lifted up, whose glory fills the temple. And from his high throne, he gives to his people on earth a message. Um, I, I think when I hear that of Isaiah chapter 6, and you recall how in that year that King Isaiah died, Isaiah mourned. But Isaiah was suddenly given a vision of that heavenly scene where God was sitting on his throne. And from that high throne, God issues his decree and he calls his servant Isaiah to service and to speak his words. Or we can go to Daniel chapter 2 in verse 28 where the prophet Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. You see, God is in heaven and he reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. You see what's being said here? Uh, above the earthly kings sits the heavenly king. And he has decreed all that must come to pass. And now this heavenly king is revealing those mysteries, those secret decrees to those on earth through his prophets. And again, that call is to, to bring us to put our, our security and hope not in earthly princes or the powers of the earth, but we're to place our hope in the heavenlies where the sun and where God is sitting on the throne, exerting their power on earth 
through the Holy Spirit. Now with that, let me just say something here about the work of the Holy Trinity. Because sometimes, perhaps you've heard it, I know I've heard it a number of times, but, uh, but perhaps you've heard this. You know, the God of the Old Testament was mean. He was cruel and, and vengeful. Look at the way he destroyed the world in the flood. Or how he destroyed Egypt through plagues and in the Red Sea. Or how he ordered the destruction of the Canaanites. Oh, the God of the Old Testament, he's a God of wrath. Oh, but the God of the New Testament, you see, he's, he's a God of love. He's a, a God of mercy and patience and, and grace. Two different gods, the God of the Old, the God of the New. Oh, that's not a new argument, by the way. You go back to the year, well, early 100s. There was a man by the name of Martian of Sinope. Uh, Martian was, um, he was a Gnostic Christian. There's kind of a, <laughs> you can't really be a Gnostic. Anyway, uh, but he was a heretic, declared heretic. But that's, he began saying the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New and, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, there are so many scriptures to show the error of that view. But here is another example how foolish and erroneous that is. You see, the God who gave Isaiah and Daniel revelation is also the God who gave Jesus this revelation to show us what must take place. And what this is saying to us is that Jesus is not working outside of God's will, but God himself is working with the Son to accomplish our salvation. Three persons in one substance, all of equal power and glory, each working to bring us into their glory. And so we see in this verse the continuation of what Jesus said while he was on earth. Remember in John chapter 8, for instance, he said, uh, the things which I heard from my father, these I speak to the world. I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. Jesus was our prophet on earth. Jesus is still our prophet in heaven. He is the one who reveals the Father and the Father's will to us. And Revelation chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2 is simply John's way of saying what Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 2 and 3 say there. In these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. See, the Father gave Jesus this revelation so that you might be comforted and instructed by a vision of who Jesus is so that your faith would not waver in times of hardship but that your faith would grow, that it be strengthened by the visions that are here given. Now, uh, again, John said that God gave Jesus the revelation to show to his bondservants the things which soon may take place. Now, that last phrase, the things that soon may take place, again, is, 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 uh, is an echo of Daniel 2, verse 28 that I just read. Let me, let me read that again for you. 
Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar that what will take place in the latter days. Now compare that statement to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. And here Daniel is saying that the mysteries, uh, that those mysteries were revealed. The mysteries that were shown to Nebuchadnezzar, the ones that Daniel interpreted, they were to show what will take place in the latter days. But here, John writes to show the things that must soon take place. You hear the change. John is telling us that the latter days that Daniel looked forward to, those latter days are here now. <laughs> They're here now. Those things prophesied about in Daniel must soon take place, and here they are didn't take place. Now, that time period between Daniel, when he received that vision, and when John received this vision may seem very long. But remember, 2 Peter 3, verse 8, with the Lord... One day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. So the Lord is on a different timetable than us. But the point is that when he talks about the things that must soon take place, he's letting those in John's day know that those events are soon beginning to happen, even then. And so this book is not for a past generation. It's not for a future generation. This book is for an always present generation. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 is telling us that the words of this book are really the climax of all Old Testament prophecy which are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Is he reigning now? Is Messiah reigning now? Yes, then this book is for you today. But because this is the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies, it will be natural to use the images that were found in Daniel and in, in Zechariah and Ezekiel and others to show how they are fulfilled by Christ. And so, since we already, as, just as a wee example, because we've already uh, mentioned uh, Daniel chapter 2, let's go back to Daniel chapter 2. In, in Daniel chapter 2, you'll recall that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a strange dream. And in that dream, he had a, a vision of a giant statue that was made up of various metals, gold and silver and bronze and then iron and then the feet of iron and, and clay mixed. And, and those all represented the various empires that would follow, uh, the gold head being Babylon, the silver being Persia, uh, the bronze, the Grecian Empire, and then the legs of iron, the Roman empires. Those empires were all envisioned. But in that vision, or in that dream, Nebuchadnezzar saw a stone cut without hands, and that stone came and it struck the seat or the feet of that statue, and that statue came crumbling down, and it and its dust blew to the four corners. And that little stone, that little rock that crushed that statue began to grow into a huge mountain that covered the world. And, and there we see that Jesus Christ himself came during the time of Rome. And as his kingdom takes root, it covers the world while crushing the world's empires to dust. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verses 27 and 28 tells us that the kingdoms of this world indeed are being shaken, but we have received an unshakable kingdom. And in Revelation, God, or John is letting us know that Daniel's prophecy about the reign of Christ that began in the, the, that fourth kingdom in that time of Rome is, is here, is taking place. That little rock is beginning to grow into a mighty mountain. The book of Revelation carries us through from John's time all the way down to our own and past our own until Christ returns. But all throughout this history, beloved, all throughout this history, we see that Christ is reigning. He is victor. In his classic commentary on the book of Revelation, uh, More Than Conquers, William Hendrickson wrote this. He said, Where, wherever, whatever age we happen to live in, we can see God's hand in history. And his mighty arm protecting us and giving us the victory through Jesus Christ, the Lord. That's the message of this book. That's the comfort this book gives. That's why verse 3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hears the word of this prophecy and heeds the things that are written in it, for the time is near. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is reigning. Again and again and again, we will need to be reminded of this fact. This book was not meant to confuse you. It was meant to bless you, to confirm you in your faith. And what that means is that this book is not meant for preachers and teachers to jump to subjective flights of imaginative fancy. It's meant to bring you back to the things that God has revealed and is now bringing it to further light. In, in Daniel's prophecy, chapter 12, he says, but the angel told Daniel, but for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Conceal these words, seal up the book, but now Revelation 1.1 tells us that the end of time has come, and that those words that were sealed up, those words that were concealed for so long, are now being explained. The Old Testament prophecies coming to light as we look at what God gives to us in this book. You know, only a God who knows the end from the beginning can give us this book. That should bolster your faith. No man can write the things that are here in Revelation or the things that were written in Daniel or Ezekiel or Zechariah or Isaiah. No man can write those things with confidence, even giving a promise of blessing to those who hear and heed this message, except the one who has receded from God. So as we close the introduction to this book, again, I, I hope that that you see that this book is given to us to reveal those, those great mysteries of Old Testament prophecy as they are fulfilled in Christ. This book, again, is given to comfort us, to encourage our faith, so that as we go through times of difficulty and persecutions and hardships, that, that you will be led to join in with the heavenly courts in praising God and worshiping Him. Again, while this book addresses 
the doctrine of Christ's return in glory. Its main message is to show you how to live in this world before he returns. Romans chapter 8. It's a great chapter, but verses 36 to 37, Paul there says, For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. That's the blessing of this message of revelation. We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us, even though we're being slaughtered. Isn't that great news? Verse 1 reminds us again of Isaiah chapter 6 and of God's heavenly throne room where his decree is pronounced. When the world seems out of control, when enemies are working towards your demise, when the heart is confused and broken as it was for Isaiah, the curtain is lifted. We see the king of kings on his throne, high and lifted up, the seraphim shouting his praises. And even then, God purifies his servant. He sends him out as a prophet to speak his word to a nation that would not hear him. Beloved, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that we are called to be kings and priests to God. Revelation 1 through, uh, 1 through 3 says that we are also in the place of prophets. God has taken us, as it were, into his holy throne room in order to anoint us, in order to send us out with this great message of forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus. What a message that is. That in Christ there is victory. This world is spinning out of control, it seems. Oh, but no, he's on the throne. He's in control. This world is out of control. He is ordering all things. He's bringing all things to a, an end. And what an end it will be for his people. Well, there's the, there's the message, but there's also the warning. Do homage to the Son, that he not become angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled, but how blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given to us a mighty message, Lord. A message of victory, a message, Lord, of peace, or, or a message, Lord, of, of great blessings above the, the, the ways of this world is our king. And we thank you, Lord, that you have shown him to us and have brought us into his kingdom. Help us then, Lord, to live for him. In Jesus' name, amen.